Dr. Nancy O'Reilly's groundbreaking book, In This Together, landed on bookstore shelves with a powerful message. When we work together, we can do absolutely anything. Guidance from 40 women leaders with specific strategies to help women advance their careers makes In This Together even more relevant today, especially with the pandemic's impact on women in the workforce. Take your career to the next level with Dr. Nancy O'Reilly's In This Together, now available on audiobook. Download your copy today. Well, uh, first of all, thank you, Kevin, for having me. It is an honor to be here uh, and having meaningful conversations around the world of different people around the world doing extraordinary things to revert the current state of things, which is there's a lot of hopelessness out there. Um, To tell a little bit about myself, I started my first company when I was 12 years old. I I had just entered middle school in El Salvador, and uh, I discovered while playing around in my dad's office a machine that made uh, round buttons uh, that are typically used for political campaigns. So they're like round, silver, shiny buttons with a pin behind. So I, I gathered up my savings with my brother and bought this machine from my dad and started selling these promotion articles to our classmates running for student government. Oh, there you go. And from selling to them, to their parents, eventually to a political candidate that wins the presidency of mm. our country, our home country of El Salvador, we grew up in this, uh, with this mindset of, of seeing opportunity uh, and, and constantly thinking of solutions of how... As an entrepreneur, you can add value in different situations. So uh, 16 years later, um, we still have that company that now does many other things. And we have a series of organizations around tech uh, and media, but also a lot of social entrepreneurship in favor of the most disfavored. Welcome to episode nine of the Real Leaders podcast with Federico Rivas. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards. And in 22 minutes today, you'll learn about how growing up in a hostile country changed Federico's definition of success, how his movement is driving change, not just in El Salvador, but around the world, and his peace, the most scarce resource on this planet. I was inspired by this 26-year-old's outlook on life, and his last words on the podcast says it all. He states, come to El Salvador now, because in a decade... All of these horrible things we are seeing today will be placed in a museum. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, the real Federico Rivas. Okay. Well, not bad for a 12-year-old. You know, he's wearing those <laughs> buttons. And, um, these are the type of stories that I love. Mm-hmm. You know, I started out doing the videos, I think I was telling you earlier about um, the social entrepreneur's aspect. Mm-hmm. And, uh, our, our whole formula was career career path and career advice to, like I said, bring these success stories to life to inspire others. Um, so don't don't just skip through that 16 years. I okay. want to hear about it. Yeah, tell okay. me about kind of how that business evolved and, and what you're doing to make the world a better place. Right, absolutely. Um, so growing up in El Salvador, we, you know, we're used to hearing all these horrific stories of tragedy and violence. I don't know, Kevin, if you're aware of it, but El Salvador has the highest homicide rates on the planet. Um, So we're also the most densely populated country in continental Americas. Mm. And we're a country that has the highest rates of violence against women. So growing up in this environment, um, of course, brings all sorts of constraints in the equation of being an entrepreneur. And uh, as a teenager, perhaps you don't think all the time to stop and think of the problems with the majority, but you're definitely exposed to a lot of these realities. 
being uh, knowing people that perhaps have been kidnapped or perhaps someone that you know has died because of violence. And um, as I was growing up, figuring out these questions was not easy to come up with answers. So for me, success in business was always a, a question that, 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 that I had at the bottom of, of my mind. Like, what do I want to achieve with right. this relative success of, of getting some profit when your entire context is so plagued by violence and inequality? So from a very young age, I've been asking myself, like, what does it mean to be successful in a context of productivity? For me, it has to address the biggest necessities around you. And, and that's why um, later in my teenage years, I found a vocation of service. And I knew that there had to be a way of translating some of these expertise and resources acquired through the business world that could and should help the surroundings become better. So that has been my mission in life. Growing up, I, I, I became in love with different problems. Uh, from maybe two years after selling buttons, I was selling cookies and malls, raising funds for uh, the largest nonprofit in El Salvador that uh, addresses uh, severe malnutrition. And you know, from selling, it, it, it's about dedicating, your, like choosing where you're gonna dedicate your time to. And, and for me, once again, it was not just about getting a profit and that allowed me to buy you know, the coolest backpack, no. It's about also raising awareness and getting involved with a cause, knowing that the current state of affairs of your surrounding um, is, is in crisis. So under that perspective uh, is growing through my teenage years and also following the example of my father who has, through his entire uh, successful business life, has always dedicated more than half of his time to other causes, from Boy Scouts uh, to helping people with disabilities as president of a foundation that, that specializes in uh, reinsertion for people that were born with disabilities, physical disabilities, uh, or, or uh, acquired one. So having that example present in my life has continued to inspire me to also navigate between the two realms of the for-profit, but also for-impact section. That's, yeah, wow. And, and first of all, thank you for all your work. It's, it's truly a blessing to kind of get people like yourself to, I, I have the opportunity to speak with them and and you just realize there's so many good people out there that have such a great heart. And, yeah, I think it's kind of what you said is, uh, you know, you're exposed to this stuff when you're a kid. And so, you know, your whole mission is, you know, let's raise awareness for this stuff. And and as I get it, you know, coming from a suburban setting in, in Western Oregon, we have so, so many privileges that you just don't really, you can't really think about when you're a kid. And... Uh, I'm not exposed to this stuff. I'm not aware of all, the, all these problems in the world, but the more people I talk to, it, it kind of just hits you back and you go, whoa, there's some real issues out there that need addressing. And um, so now we're trying to use our, our power, our distribution, our network to solve these problems. And like you said, that's why we have every single story in our magazine that are highlighting these people because people need to know about this stuff. And I know people want to help. Um, and let's not, let's not get to that point. Um, where it's a you know this world crisis that people are then going to start to realize um, what the rest of the world is dealing with on a day to day basis. And you know, Kevin, one of the topics that we explore here at Singularity U mm -hmm. uh, is um, we, we Peter Diamandis says that good solutions to grand problems can come from anywhere. Good ideas are crowdsourced. Yeah. 
be it in Kathmandu, in San Salvador, or here in Silicon Valley, a, an idea that can detonate a revolution uh, can come from anywhere. Mm -hmm. But what it requires, I think, is the courage to first be asking yourself in the first place, what can I do mm -hmm. to help detonate a solution that might help an ecosystem, that might help one individual? Right. Because it's easy in this valley of silicon and dreams to get lost behind the numbers. Mm. Um, a good mentor of mine in El Salvador always reminds us of the faces, of the families, of the names behind these big digits. Um, Peter also uh, talks about a story of aluminum. And, and he, in his book Abundance, he narrates how aluminum came uh, to the modern world uh, about 200 years ago through a process called uh, electrolysis, which is uh, removing, uh, well, through electric shocks, um, being able to extract aluminum from clay. But he also speaks that it, almost 1,500 years ago, um, during Roman times, this person, this merchant came and, and said to an emperor, uh, I think it was Tiberius of that age, no, it's actually more than 50. It was almost over 2,000 years ago. And he's like, um, here's a shiny plate that I've brought to you made of an object that is lighter than a feather and shinier than gold. And you will not believe this. I found it and I, I, I've subtracted this from soil, mm -hmm. from clay. And the emperor, instead of asking and, and getting to know how he did it, he chopped his head off because he knew that since his, most of his reserves were in gold and in silver, which were extremely expensive, but still are, if this shiny object that was everywhere uh, became abundant, it would drive down the prices of his right. treasures. So uh, this act uh, delayed the uh, advent of aluminum for almost two millennia. So something that was once extremely scarce, like back in the day, now is extremely abundant, almost in a disposable basis. So yesterday in a reflection with a few leaders from around the world, I, I encourage uh, these leaders to ask themselves, what is our aluminum right now? Mm. Like, what is that thing that is scarce, but that can be transformed into abundance and that it is desperately needed? In our case, in our part of the world, it's peace. Peace is not very abundant. Opportunities are scarce. Yeah. In the matter that through exponential technologies and hope with the conviction that we can transform a society that is deliberately suffering so much. Um, I think that we're up to an interesting quest for the rest of our lives until we actually attain that. Yeah, and when I think about resources for abundance, you know, you, know, you immediately think water or something like that. But then when you say peace, you know, that's a resource that you can't grab. You know, that's something that's not tangible. It's just something that the world and leaders really need. And I think ethics do play a role in that as well. Uh, so that's an interesting conversation right there. But what is Federico doing to make the world a better place? Um, you know, what, 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 and how are you driving change in El Salvador? Well, through through several things, Kevin. Um, currently, I, I I have the privilege of serving as co-chair of the Global Shapers Community. We're uh, an initiative of the World Economic Forum, headquartered in Geneva. Um, and as co-chair, um, I'm, I'm part of the leadership that helps. Uh, govern the community across the world. We're, uh, we're in a hub-based system. So in most major cities around the world, you're going to find a hub of ours 
with young people under the ages of 30, between the ages of 20 and 30, mm -hmm. uh, they're doing extraordinary, they're addressing big cha bold challenges in their own community. So um, I, I help with that uh, at an international scale, but also at the local level with the Global Shapers, we have several initiatives. One of them, for instance, is called El Salvador 2040. We're already starting to dream of what El Salvador should look like um, 22 years from now. And what, are, what is that point of no return for El Salvador? If we do not educate our current uh, youth, if we do not empower them to, to meet also those demands that the world will have, not, not, maybe not today, but in a few years. Also, um, in terms of infrastructure, in terms of governance and uh, corruption. So we're starting to ask ourselves these bold questions and, and engaging with broader conversations to uh, enactuate policy change that will reflect a government and a civil society that is actively monitoring progress and development for a country that if right now we might be the, the murder capital of the world, if, if we want to be the next Singapore, if we want to be the next Hong Kong, like what are those input multipliers that we need to be focusing now, if not yesterday, uh, to really kickstart a revolution that will make us a lot more competitive? So, so that is an example. I was, I'm also um, co-chairing a, a foundation called Global Dignity in El Salvador. Uh, with the purpose of um, promoting dignity uh, among youth and the disfavored of our society to generate meaningful conversations around dignity. Mm -hmm. And right now, with a massive exodus of women and children into the U.S., uh, it, is, it has, I think, never been more important to discuss why a universal principle like dignity is important and, and, and how we are to, to maintain that. Um, and a series of things. I also founded an innovation lab called the Study of Ventures, which is kind of like a hub of innovation where we experiment with exponential technologies. And to give you an example of one of our projects, we started a, a program called uh, Adelante en Comunidad, or Lean In in Community, inspired by Sheryl Sandberg's movement, Lean In. Um, and we adopted this model and took it to rural communities uh, in which we kickstart conversations with women in marginalized areas of El Salvador, generating circles of discussion to work on self-esteem and to have conversations around difficulties that these women are facing uh, and encouraging them to establish local networks of supports among women to overcome many of these tragic incidents that, that uh, the majority of Salvadoran women face. Definitely. And what are the biggest issues that you run into? I know that, at least when we try to get you know, stories or tell people about what we do, there's always some negative feedback or negative comeback that will be, you know, oh, that'll never happen, and uh, people are too right-leaning, and, you know, it's just not, it's just not possible. What, what are some of the things, the, the negative things that you receive that might be blocking this process? Well, I would say that at two different dimensions. For... Uh, the people at the margins, it's just like systemic traps, you know, of lack of opportunities and hopelessness. Because, for instance, El Salvador was in a very bloody civil war in the 80s, and then the 90s were supposed to be an era of reconstruction, a lot of adversity. But two 25, no, 27 years after our peace was signed, so we, we're supposedly in peace, but today more people die than in the darkest eras of our civil war. But mind you, Kevin, we're not a, in a declared state of war. So right. I think that through all these prolonged periods of times of hopelessness, a lot of people have, have just given up. So I think uh, 
that is one of the main issues that we're trying to tackle. You know, how can we bring a message of abundance, a message of, of, of permanent optimism? Because we need every single member of our society to be convinced that there's a future out there waiting for us and that is worth fighting for. So through our program, we work first and foremost on self-esteem, enabling especially women to, to, to evangelize and, and so that they are convinced that they are worth fighting for, that their families are worthy, that they are valuable. So that is our primary component. But then at a societal level, for those individuals who are in positions of an actual broader change, be it through their uh, socioeconomic status if, or, or if they're in a, in a, in a political organization, um, I'd say is, um, it's, it's also that notion that one must recognize all the mistakes we've done in the past mm -hmm. and also have the courage and the vulnerability to be exposed to the current state of affairs of most because a lot of people in positions of influence and power uh, don't really go out there and see what's going on with the, with the majority. I call it that we suffer from a terrible social selective myopia. Myopia is this condition that you have something very close and you cannot see it. It's the same with, with uh, comfortable people in our society that wherever you look, there's inequality, there's poverty, there's violence, but you tend to look around right. to the opposite direction and, and pretend that nothing's there. So I think that words uh, in, move, but your action can actually inspire and drag people over to do something. So my personal imperative is to keep setting the example through these different initiatives, through these different conversations we're having, and most importantly, our actions may help inspire those who selectively choose only to criticize and not lead to start getting in love with problems because uh, alone we can only do so much. Uh, and, and, and let me end this uh, uh, note with, uh, I love the saying that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to get far, go together. Mm -hmm. And that is my main message to people out there. We need to be, especially as youth, the great builders of coalitions, of alliances, of building bridges, so that we may tackle grand challenges with courage. Totally. And folks, if uh, you're just listening now, uh, Federico is exemplifying the Real Leaders magazine. I think we might have him on the next cover. Uh, <laughs> we're on the street. Uh, but, but, but seriously, though, you're, if I had that right, you're 12, 16 years later, you're, you're 28 yeah. now, uh, 2040, that's in you know, 22 years. So by the time you're 50, you're still going to be doing this and you're still going to be uh, working on this goal by the time you get to that 2040 goal. Is that correct? Yeah. That is commitment, dedication, hard work, and we think that's leadership. Mm. That's why we want to talk to you, and I'm glad we had the opportunity to run into you the other day. And, um, and so back to this uh, point is, uh, what would you define your definition of a real leader as? That's a fantastic question, Kevin. And I think that real leaders are those that do not look for protagonism for the sake of protagonism. They look for protagonism for the sake of doing good. Mm. And real leaders are those who are able to inspire in an empathic way, in a loving way, and in a way that is also sustainable. I, I, I recently was writing in my journal about this concept of um, 
egoistic altruism, I call it. Egoism okay. as in uh, okay. selfishness, like a selfish altruism. Mm -hmm. Two words that individually uh, are like at odds. Uh, you know, being the selfish person, always trying to uh, vouch for themselves. And then the, the altruistic individual who's, you know, vouching for others. But right. when, when brought in together, I've explored the concept of being generous and kind with yourself first, only with the intention to give more to those around you, to others, to reach out with more strength and renowned optimism. And I think all of us have ups and downs in our lives. You know, real leaders, we, uh, it, it, it's not like leaders are, are always, you know, flying high like Superman. Every single human has his ups and downs. But for me, it is extremely important. And I invite people in positions of leadership to, to be generous and kind with yourself, uh, that we take time to have coffee with ourselves to explore our mind, what's going on with our feelings, and to pay careful attention of, our, of, of, of those sentiments because there's so much power in them. But if, if we are unwell, if we are not taking care of our body, mind, soul, and spirit, like our holistic self, mm -hmm. it, it is hard to make transcendental leadership sustainable throughout time. Because if we don't take care of ourselves, we, we might be able to be doing extraordinary things, but Life eventually passes us a bill that we must pay. And if we have not taken care of our feelings, of our health, of our family, of our hearts and minds, like uh, this, uh, perhaps th those moments where we're about to break through, something unexpected happens. Uh, and life is like that. Even if we take care, you know, things happen that are out of our control. So, so this notion of egoistic altruism for me is about also building our own reserves as leaders. Uh, to, to, to be aware that, that we are protecting that which gives us enormous amount of energy. Like, to, to, to give you a concrete example, I'm right now in this uh, system called the ketogenic uh, oh, diet. Yeah. Yeah. I'm doing keto, which is... Um, I was thinking about doing that, too. It's, it's a great, highly recommended. Uh, you eat, like, 12 cups of vegetables every Baking. single day. Uh, and, yeah, you do some, <laughs> eat some healthy fats. Uh, Bacon is not necessary for the keto diet. There's also oh, for vegans uh, if you wanted to. <laughs> I drink my kill shake every single day. I like to journal. I like to meditate every night. And, and, and it's, you know, each one will have their own formula of wellness. But my invitation to, to, to those individuals out there that uh, want to aspire or are already assuming positions uh, of leadership around the world is to take meticulous cares of those things that we can control of. For when adversity hits, we have some sort of reserve that, that will allow us to, to withstand and, and continue with our desires and our trajectory and our ability to create lasting impact. Definitely. Well, Federico, uh, you know, sometimes uh, the best leaders are some of the best followers as well. And mm -hmm. I'm sure as hell going to be following you and what you're doing. <laughs> Thank you, Hopefully I'll, uh, you know, get a cup of coffee with you in El Salvador and we'll, we'll pick this chat back up. You're, you're most that. welcome to come to El Salvador and, and everyone listening out there as well. Elsa, <laughs> it's my favorite thing to do to show people around El Salvador. And I tell people, come now. Come now. Uh, because in a decade. Uh, all of these horrible things we are seeing today are only going to be housed in museums. Our gang problem, our, all of our violence, our malnutrition, I will make sure this is placed in a museum. So come see it now while it's still a phenomenon, but uh, it's not sure to last longer. All right, folks, we'll book your ticket to El Salvador. The protagonist is there. Federico, we appreciate your time. Thank, Thank you, you, Kevin. Thank you for being a relator. Thank you so much. 
Folks, that wraps up for episode nine of the Realtors Podcast with Federico Rivas. And if you haven't heard yet, we are doing live podcasts with entrepreneurs, CEOs, and thought leaders on Facebook at Real Leaders Magazine. I repeat, folks, live podcasts on Facebook at Real Leaders Magazine. For updates, follow us on Instagram at realleaders.shortcuts. And if you're not subscribed yet to our magazine, go online to https backslash backslash. <laughs> I don't even like saying that. WWW, I don't even need to say that. Real, just go to real-leaders.com slash free dash subscription and receive a free brands in addition plus 40% off your next order on a magazine that is trusted by over 25,000 CEOs in 135 countries around the globe. Next on the podcast, we have Jason Graham Nye, the founder of G-Diapers, a sustainable diaper company that is attempting to eliminate over 50 million plastic diapers that go into landfills every single day. 50 million plastic diapers. That's a lot of poop, okay? All right. All right, folks. Well, thanks for tuning in again to episode nine, and always keep it real. <laughs>